All right, good morning. Um, we are continuing our foundation series, looking at our core values as a church. This morning, I want to talk about the core phrase in our mission statement, which is the renewal of all things. I remember the first time that I realized my view of eternity was far too simplistic. I was living in Florida at the time as a student, and I was studying uh, to be uh, a pastor. And um, I decided that that summer I was going to take an internship in Las Vegas, right? Like what better place to do ministry? It is called Sin City for a reason. Am I right? And so when I got to Vegas, I was amazed by all of the lights, the signs, the buildings, everything going on in that city. It, it totally captivated me. But I was really there and I was really excited to do ministry. I was ready to get going. And so uh, I thought what happens in Vegas is going to stay in Vegas. Like this is going to be a summer to remember. And so with all of my naive enthusiasm, I was ready to get going. And so the first week of our internship was a total letdown. Like we just sat in the classroom for hours on end learning about the mission and message of Jesus. And I'm like, let's just get this train going. And so after 40 hours of intensive training, we are finally ready to hit the streets. And so we all packed inside of this 12-passenger van with the name of the church and phone number plastered on every side of it. Like, this thing was not a chick magnet. This baby was a real-life mission mobile. And so we packed it into this thing with one mission. We were going to spend the summer telling as many people as possible about Jesus. And so what I would do is I would jump out of the van. I would go into a neighborhood, knock on somebody's door. They'd open the door, and I'd say, hey— do you know for sure where you're going to go when you die? And they'd be like, my God, what are you talking about? Like, this is not the, the typical small talk you have with a complete stranger, but that is what I did. And after, I would go into my celestial pitch of why they can know they're going to heaven. And if they weren't buying into that, I could give them a pamphlet entitled, You Can Know You're Going to Heaven. Now, this thing would constantly happen where people would, would look at me and say, that's your good news? heaven like clouds and babies with harps seriously that's your what's your bad news right and uh, I would get back into that 12 passenger van and think to myself there's got to be something more going on I feel like I'm missing something and at the time I couldn't put my finger on it just yet what I've come to realize is that thing is what the bible calls the renewal of all things in Matthew chapter 19 Jesus talks about the renewing of all things and Acts chapter 3, Peter talks about the restoration of all things. Later, Paul in Colossians chapter 1 will talk about the reconciliation of all things. But what does this mean? What is the renewal of all things? And I, I think we struggle to understand this because I think we, under, we fail to understand the whole of the story. So let's begin in the beginning. In fact, Genesis begins with those very words, in the beginning. You know this. On page one of the Bible, God creates a good and beautiful wor world. In fact, the, the Garden Eden, that word Eden means to delight, to enjoy, to engage in, in, in a way to delight and enjoy the creation. So God creates a good and beautiful world, and he says over it repeatedly, it is good. On the seventh time, he, he cl climaxes and he says, it is very good. Seven times God speaks these words over his creation. We also learn that everything in the creation, quote, produces after its kind. Translation, the world is going somewhere. 
The world itself is growing, it's expanding, it's developing, it's, it's moving forward. In other words, the creation project is going somewhere. This is the creative project. It is not static. It is dynamic. See, God made a world that was supposed to go somewhere. It was supposed to grow and expand. And then God says these words, let us make mankind in our image so that they may rule. Why did God make humanity? Why did God make you in his image? Well, apparently it was so that they may rule. We were created to rule over God's creation. We were apparently created to be a part of God's creative project. See, God only started the creation. We were made to finish it. It says that Adam was placed in the garden to, quote, work it and keep it. In other words, God made humans in his image and he gave them one task. Extend, extend Eden's borders to the ends of the earth. Take the shalom, the peace, the harmony, the beauty, the delight of Eden and extend its borders to the very ends of the earth. See, God created humans to rule over his creative project. He, he created you to partner with him in taking it somewhere. And the humans were made to, as I said before, take Eden and extend it to the ends of the earth. Listen to me. You were created to fill the earth and subdue it with beauty and delight. This is what we read on page one. And God blesses the creation and he calls it good. He calls the world, the earth, the sky, the animals, the people good. Now, this is the practice of the ancient Near Eastern gods. In the ancient uh, Babylonian and Canaanite literature of their creation accounts, they, they would depict the gods creating the world. And when they create the world, they would set up a temple and they would bless the temple. It was the temple that was made holy. But that is not what the God of creation, the God of Bible does. He creates the world and makes the world holy. He blesses the world, not the temple. What this means to us is profound. What it means is God's space and our space are one. Heaven and earth are overlapping. They're intersected. They are connected. God's space and our space in the original story is together and one. What this means for us is everything is sacred. So this is how the story begins. But how does the story end? Well, the story ends in the very same place on earth. In Revelation 21, John sees a, a revelation of a new heavens and a new earth. This is the language of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning was God created the heavens and the earth. Then he hears a voice saying, I am making all things new. This is renewal language. This is the renewal of all things. See, God isn't burning up his creation, throwing it away as pop culture tells us. This is pop theology at its cheapest form. God is not burning up the creation and throwing it away. He is renewing and healing his creation. It describes a river in Revelation 21 flowing in the middle of this new creation. And at the end of this river is the tree of life. This is Eden language. This is Genesis 1 language. And, and John continues and says that there will be no more sin or sickness and death. God is restoring his creation not abandoning it, but also notice its location. Revelation 21 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to earth, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, this is what the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright calls the marriage of heaven and earth. And that is exactly what is happening. 
heaven and earth are becoming one again. They're being united as they were in the beginning. God's space and our space are bound and destined to be intersected once and for all, just as it was in the beginning. So in the end, we will not be whisked away somewhere in the sky to be with God in the clouds. Rather, God is restoring all things. And one day, he will bring heaven down to be with us. John is specific about the direction. We are not going somewhere into the sky, but God is sending heaven down to here on earth. This is how the story begins, and it is also how the story ends. But what happens in the middle? What happens in the middle of the story? Well, what what happens is Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, the humans mess everything up, and that is the definition of sin. It is the human propensity to mess things up. In Genesis 1, God creates a beautiful and good world. And over and over, he says that it is good. But it doesn't take very long for the humans in which God created to mess everything up. And they unleash the destructive power of sin, hell, and death all over God's good world. And heaven and earth, were which, which were one, are torn apart. The humans that God created grasp after creation and decide that they want to rule it for themselves. They decide we are going to define what is good and what is evil. And the crazy and profound and provocative thing is God gives them what they want. Psalm 115 verse 16 says, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. See, this is the reality of the world that we currently live in, a world marked by sin and decay, a world where God's will is not always done as it is in heaven. It is a world marked by sickness and death. But here's what we need to know. Here is the reality that we must grasp to understand the renewal of all things. Genesis 3 is not how the story begins, and it is not how the story ends. And so many of us so many of us believe that, that the gospel is God's evacuation plan for getting us out of this world and into heaven. But the truth is that that isn't the gospel. It's not how the story begins, and it's not how the story ends. And I get concerned that, that there will be people who are up on their way somewhere, and God will be coming down, and they'll pass in the air, and God will look at them and say, where are you going, right? Like, like we believe that this somehow is the gospel that Jesus preached, but it's found nowhere in the pages of the Bible. See, if we start with Genesis 3, the solution becomes a disembodied evacuation plan. But if we start in Genesis 1, the solution becomes the renewal of all things. Tom Wright writes that we are not only trying to get people into heaven, but we are getting heaven into earth. This is why Jesus tells us to pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven In other words, the new creation project is here. It is breaking in. The dawn of a new era has begun. The good news that Jesus preached that the kingdom of God is at hand is actually true. It's available to us. It's been inaugurated. And we look toward its completion, but we also participate in the renewal of all things here and now. And listen, if that's true, this changes everything. Everything is sacred as it was in the garden. The earth matters. What you do matters. How you treat people matters because what you do in this life will echo out into eternity. See, this means that you are called to join in in God's renewal of all things. But you're asking, how can this be true? I'm glad you asked. See, the disciple John, the beloved of Jesus, writes an account of the life of Jesus. It's called John's Gospel. It's found in the New Testament pages of your Bible. 
And there John does a very interesting thing. He has the audacity to begin his gospel with the words, in the beginning. Does this sound familiar? Yeah, it sounds like Genesis 1. In the beginning. But instead of starting with in the beginning God, John changes the main and central character to in the beginning was the word. Why does he do this? Why does he take the central character Yahweh, the creator God, who has been the God of his people for generations? Why does he create a Genesis account, a in the beginning account, but change the central focus to in the beginning God, to in the beginning was the word? What is he doing here? Why would he do this? Unless John is writing a new Genesis story with a new character at its focus. See, What John is about to do is he is about to lay out six signs, which is to say these are the six days of creation. See, in John chapter 2, Jesus shows up in a place called Canaan, and he does this really radical thing. He starts his ministry by making wine. Great way to start your ministry, okay? He shows up to a party, turns water into wine. John tells us that this was his first sign. And then he goes on and continues, and he points out sign after sign. Number two, he heals a man's son. Number two, he he heals a man at a pool, three, a man at a pool. He feeds 5,000. He heals the blind man. And then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, which is his sixth sign. And as you keep reading, you realize there's no more signs. You you, you read, and, and, and John doesn't mention them. He's It's as if he's not interested in finishing the story. So where's the seventh sign? Like no good Jew would end on six. You wouldn't end with an incomplete number or an incomplete week. This doesn't make sense. Why would he do this? See, think back to the beginning of John's gospel. He starts with the words, in the beginning. John starts off as if this is a new Genesis story, a new creation story. So where is the seventh sign? Well, the seventh sign is in the rest of the story. For the rest of John's gospel, he focuses in on one crucial event, the cross. The cross is the seventh sign. See, John writes this in John chapter 2. He says, what Jesus did here in Cana, turning water into wine, was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. The seventh sign is the cross, where the glory of God is truly revealed. See, the first six signs represent the first six days of creation, but the seventh sign represents the climax where God on the seventh day said, it is finished. And on the cross, Jesus on the seventh day says those very words, it is finished. And they laid Jesus in a tomb and God rested. God rested on the seventh day. This is John's Genesis story. But it's not over. John does not end his gospel with the creator God dead in the tomb. Jesus raises from the dead, but John goes out of his way to tell us not once, but twice, that it was on the first day that he was raised. He dies on the seventh, but he is raised on the first. The math doesn't add up unless Jesus rises on the first day of the week in the new creation. See, Jesus went dead into the tomb as the creator God after finishing his work of creation, but he rises again, not just as the creator God, but as the second Adam who is awoken on the first day of the week in the new creation. See, what this means to us is that God not only rises, but he offers us a glimpse of new creation. The dawn of a new era has begun. This is the inbreaking of new creation in the here and the now. 
See, John tells us that when Jesus rises, Mary doesn't recognize him. Mary thinks that he's a gardener, which is to say, like the, the, the language here in the Greek is wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is the second Adam, the gardener in the Garden of Eden, and he rises again in the new creation as the second Adam. See, this is the unthinkable that has happened. Jesus has liberated his creation project from the destructive powers of sin and death, and he has launched his new creation in the middle of the old and dying one. This is the renewal of all things. And John ends his gospel with an invitation to follow Jesus in the work of new creation. This is the restoration of the human vocation to rule over and subdue the earth, to extend Eden's shalom to the ends of creation. And Jesus says this in John chapter 7, He who believes in me, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. This is new creation language. Genesis 2.10 says, A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. See, Jesus seems to think that new creation has broken in, and he seems to think that it's flowing from within you. And Jesus says, As the Father sent me, so I send you. And then he breathes on them just like he breathed on Adam on that seventh day, and Adam became a living soul. And he breathes on his disciples, and he sends them out to rule over and subdue the earth, to extend Eden's shalom to the ends of the earth. What this means is the human vocation has been restored. See, the resurrection is not just a sign of life beyond the grave. It is the beginning of God's new world. It is about a world reborn. It's about the renewal of all things. See, we are called to extend God's kingdom in the world. We're called to implement the victory of the cross in the here and now. We are called to join in the renewal of all things. And later, the Apostle Paul would reclaim from the rooftops these provocative words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation is here. The old has gone. The new is here. See, the final vision of the Christian gospel is not about going to heaven when you die. That's because the good news at its heart is about the rescue and renewal of all things, the whole creation. See, the last uh, scene is not about us going up to heaven. The last scene in Revelation is about heaven coming down to be with us. Notice the direction. We are not going up into the sky as disembodied spirits, but heaven is coming down to earth. This world is not going to be burned up and thrown away. It is going to be renewed. And deep down, listen to me, deep down, we want this to be true because we know that our world is broken. We wonder if the cross made any difference at all. Did anything actually happen as Jesus hung there as the creator dying for his people? Did it make any difference in the world or is this all just wishful thinking? See, our world is broken. There's still sin and death. In our progressive and sophisticated society, we still solve our problems by going to war, launching missiles, and murdering innocent civilians. We live in a world where kids grow up in broken families, where moms and dads don't love each other anymore. We live in a world where friendships die because of trivial political opinions, in a world where the weak and poor unjustly make our clothing. We live in a world that is falling apart and broken at its seams, where people die, sin is glorified, and God is irrelevant. And in this world, we're forced to ask, did anything Jesus do on the cross make any difference at all? What is the solution to our broken world? What is the solution to the pain and the evil and the corruption that we see day in and day out? Well, there are, there are a plethora of options. The New Age solution is to deny that evil and suffering even exist. 
We manifest positivity. In Eastern religion, evil is simply karma. You get what you deserve. And the answer of secularism is that evil is something out there. It's the other political party. It's the people on the other side of the issue. It's, it's them out there who are bad, but evil is certainly not within me. Within the worldview of atheism, there is no category for evil and suffering. So when a teenager guns down his classmates, he is, in the words of Richard Dawkins, dancing to the music of his DNA. See, all of these solutions fail to do with the evil in our world and even take them seriously. Only Jesus offers a true solution. The cross is what it looks like when God comes to deal with evil. Evil's power is exhausted and overcome by love. In fact, Paul will, will write that the cross of Jesus quote, disarmed the powers and authorities of darkness and he made a public spectacle o- over them by triumphing over them on the cross. As he hung there on the cross, Jesus on the seventh day cried out, it is finished. Jesus liberated his creation from the powers of darkness and his new creation project has been inaugurated. It has been set in motion. See, Jesus rose from the dead as a second Adam to bring the shalom of Eden here and now. And he calls us, our people, to work toward that end, to spread the new creation to the ends of the earth. So the question we're all thinking is, how do we do this? Put simply, we practice now what life will be like in the new creation. Jesus is calling us to practice now what life will be like in the new creation. Now, this isn't limited to our private lives. This is a public pronunciation that the, 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 the rule of the powers of darkness have come to an end. We do this by modeling our lives after the second Adam. We do this by following the new creation, Jesus Christ himself, and we live like him. So we do this first through personal discipleship. And, and what, what this means is God actually wants to start his new creation project with you. He, he, he wants to start with you. His new creation project, he wants to, to birth within you. God wants to put the humans right because he knows that if he does, he can put the world right. The good news of the gospel is that when God puts the humans right, the creation project can get back on track. Someone once said that the, the line separating good and evil passes not between states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. The problem isn't out there somewhere. It's in here. In your heart and in my heart, there is lust and greed and hatred. But the powers of evil, both within us and outside of us, have been defeated on the cross. Sin has been overcome and defeated. But that is not all. That is not the end of the gospel. The completion of the gospel is not forgiveness of sins. Jesus came to save us from sin itself. See, on the cross, you died with Jesus too. You might not know it, but you died on the cross. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Listen, you died with Jesus. The broken you died. The sinful you crucified. The old you is dead. This is why Paul can say, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. See, you've been crucified with Jesus. And if you've been crucified with him, you've been raised with him. You have been made new by the resurrection of Jesus. The new creation, according to Jesus, bursting from within you like like rivers of living water. Something new is happening inside of us. And there are two things that we're called to do. Number one, we're called to put off the old self, the crucified self, the dead self. 
Paul writes in Ephesians 4.22, and he tells us to, quote, put off the old self. That self is dead. It's crucified. It is no longer. It is not who you are anymore. It is dead. And so when you stumble and fall back into old ways, we need to call them what they are, old patterns, old ways, and habits of our old self. But that is not who you are anymore. It's not who you are at your core, and our job is to simply live like that is true. We are to walk away from our old ways because that's not who we are anymore. New creation has broken into your very being, and you have the power to, quote, put off the old self. But number two, we put on the new self. You have been, been made a new creation. The old dad is something that is, is, is broken and gone and dead, and that person isn't who you are anymore. See, there is a person that you already are in God's eyes. This is your true self, your truest self at the deepest core of your being. And we are simply learning to live like that's true. Like that is the truest person that we are. You know, the Bible never refers to those who follow Jesus as sinners. The Bible only talks about sinners in the past tense. It always calls us saints or holy ones. And that is because this is your true identity. Paul continues and says, put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. And the way that we put on this new self is by looking to new creation, the second Adam. We look to Jesus and we follow him. And by following him, which is used several times in the New Testament, we literally mean that we follow literally Jesus' way of life. This is what it means to put on the new self. Jesus rose from the dead as the second Adam in the new creation, and he calls us to follow him. We are to imitate his way of life. See, following Jesus is simply putting into practice the person that you already are. It's the person that you are becoming. See, following Jesus is about living now as you will live for all of eternity. It's about living right here and right now, the eternal kind of life that Jesus said in John 10, 10, he came to give us. And he said he came to give it to us in abundance. See, what if modeling our lives after Jesus is actually the greatest way to live? I believe we long for this kind of life the life that Jesus offered us. Like, I think we long for a life where we love our neighbors and bless those who curse us. We long for a life where anger and lust and greed are no longer true of us. We long for a life that Jesus lived. But Jesus seems to think that we can experience it. Not in perfection, but actually, literally experience it. I've come that you might have life. See, we simply have to put on our new selves. We simply have to follow the new Adam, the new creation, Jesus himself, and follow his way of life. The good news is that when we do this, we get put back on track. When God sets us right, we can begin to set the world right. So we join God in the renewal of all things through justice, through public action. See, we're called to bring heaven to earth. We're not called just to escape this earth and go to heaven. We're called to bring heaven to earth. We're called, in the words of Jesus, to seek God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. You know, years ago, there was a pastor who went to go get his haircut. Obviously, I need to follow in his suit. Uh, but he went and he got a haircut, and he sat in the barber chair, and his barber uh, was talking to him about the church. And his barber went into ripping apart the church for, for a long while, for all of the injustice and hypocrisy and pain and suffering that the church has caused people. And the crazy thing is the pastor sat there and thought to himself, this guy has a point. 
The church has been a destructive force in many people's lives. It's been harmful in many ways. And so he sat there as this pastor, as this barber ripped into the church. And after a while, when, all, when he was done of all of his accusations against the church, the pastor sat there, looked at the barber, and asked him one simple question. What is your idea of a perfect world? And kind of stunned and surprised, the barber went on to describe a world without pain and suffering, a world without warfare and death and sickness. And then the pastor simply looked back at him and said, that is why the church exists. The church exists for no other reason than the renewal of all things. God calls us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. He calls us to share the hope of Jesus with others who don't know him yet. He invites us to, in the words of his brother James, true religion, which James calls to love and care for the widow and the orphan. Is your religion true? Have you followed Jesus' example to actually bring God's kingdom down to earth? Or are you doing everything possible to escape this earth and just simply go to heaven? See, our God invites us to go after the poor, the weak, and the broken. There are no barriers to the love of God, and God calls his people to participate in the mission of evangelism, justice, and renewal. And we participate in this renewal when we care for the poor, when we feed the hungry, and we stand against injustice. We participate in the new creation by making disciples and telling people about Jesus. We participate in the inbreaking kingdom of God by seeing lives changed. And listen to me, for the last 2,000 years, the church has been at the forefront of caring for the hungry, feeding the sick, starting hospitals, and abolishing slavery. Real and lasting change has happened and is happening, and God is inviting us to be a part of the renewal of all things. The good news is that the living God is establishing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, and he is inviting all people everywhere to be a part of it. The question for you this morning is simple. Have you received the gospel of Jesus that the kingdom of God is breaking in? That is what Jesus said the gospel was. Or have you received another gospel, a gospel of escapism, a gospel where this world is bad and God is abandoning it? Or have you accepted the call that the good news is that God is restoring all of creation, that every person matters, the earth matters, justice matters, and he's inviting you not to go away somewhere in the sky, but to participate in real and lasting change here on this earth. One day God will come back and he's bringing heaven with him. And on that day, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and we will see him clearer than we have ever saw him and it will be a kingdom of justice, peace, and truth. God is inviting us to join him in the renewal of all things. So will you join him? Let's pray.